Father, those, those words that, that we just sang aren't just words. I need you desperately. And we are deeply aware that apart from your son, Jesus, we can't do anything. This morning is literally futility unless you show up and do a work in my heart and in my life. I think my problem is often, Lord, I don't think I need you. I think I, I truly can make it through today without you. And so I ask that you'd forgive me for that. And, and as I empty myself and ask, ask you to fill me with your spirit, I, I pray that you would and that you would use your word working through your spirit to serve and strengthen your children this morning. And so I admit I've got nothing to offer, and so I pray that even as I read your word, as we look at Genesis chapter 40, that, that you would use your word that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray you'd use it um, to strengthen us, to serve us. Father, would you expose sin, and would you give humble hearts to repent this morning? I, I pray you'd be glorified as we simply come and surrender to your son, Jesus, today. I, pray your father heart would be thrilled at your children who simply say, Jesus, we need you. And so I pray you would use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome as you're being seated. So grateful you're here for guests, first timers, newcomers, visitors. Uh, you found yourself at Hillside Fellowship I'll take everything that we believe and, and put it into a nutshell for you. We believe the Bible is God's word, that it's powerful, and we believe that the Bible points us to Jesus, the Son of God, and that Jesus changes everything. Uh, it's how he changes everything that's astounding. You see, he begins not by telling you, be better, do more, try harder. He begins by giving you new life. When you surrender to Jesus, he literally gives you new life. Christ comes to live within you. And he begins to grow in you this love and joy and peace and patience. And he begins to flow through you and change everything around you. How he changes everything really is amazing. It's through us that he does it. And we'll see that today in Genesis chapter 40. So all that just to say we're so glad you're here. My name is Dave. I'm a, uh, I have new life in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I just so happen to be a recovering addict and alcoholic, saved by grace, and it's my honor to open up the Word of God with you. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, well, wait, let me say something else. I know we've got uh, quite a few people here who aren't Christians, don't know Jesus, and you're just uh, kicking the tires of Christianity. I am so glad you're here. Uh, I want nothing more than for you to know Jesus Christ um, because he's amazing. He is the creator of all things. And so my goal is to persuade you today that Jesus is the son of God, that he loves you, that he died on the cross for your sin, and that he'll forgive your sin and write a new story with your life today. So that's my goal. That's my ambition. All cards on the table. Uh, some of you don't have Bibles, never had a Bible. We got extra Bibles. We gave all our other Bibles away. They're nice Bibles. They're leather-covered Bibles. So if you want a Bible, just come grab a Bible. They're free. It's astounding because Hillside's so generous. So if you want a Bible, grab one. They're up front here. Uh, open up to Genesis chapter 40. You're going to dig this. It's an astounding story. Uh, yeah, follow along with us. Dig it. Love it. Uh, watch it. I'll read it. This is probably the best part of the sermon. I'm just going to read chapter 40 to you. 
absolutely amazing. I'll let you get your Bibles open. We're in Genesis 40, very first book of the Bible. Uh, just open up and you'll find 40 in there. Yeah, grab that one. Oh, absolutely. Okay, we got one left. I'm going to order more next week. I dig this. I don't know if you've seen the stats in America. They say Christianity's crashing. Uh, I think numerically, denominationally, it probably is. But I tell you what, we are at the precipice of a great work to see Jesus plant new churches that actually love the Bible, love Jesus, love people, and love connecting people to Jesus because he changes everything. I don't think the church is crashing. I think it's reforming. And, and we see it at Hillside week in and week out. And a lot of that is through you. Christ's life in you radiates love. It's palpable, it's powerful, and it is what the world longs for. So let me read Genesis 40 to you. You're going to dig it. Okay, we got no Bibles. That, uh, it just happened. I'll get more next week. Watch this. God says, Moses writes this. Then it came about after these things. That's after Jojo got thrown into the slammer. So Joseph's in prison. Uh, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh. Pharaoh, verse 2, was furious with his two officials, the, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail, they both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. Now when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in, the, in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we've had a dream. There's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and it was, the branches were budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Well, then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, and within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I've done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Well, verse 16, when the chief baker saw that, that he had interpreted favorably for, for the cupbearer, he said to Joseph, I, I also saw in my dream and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. It's like a Dr. Seuss thing. Seven, I had white, white bread on my head. I don't know why I've read this probably 40 times and it just dawned on me that that rhymes. Nah. I had white bread on my head and in the top of the basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head and then Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. 
Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and you will hang on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Have a good night. (laughs) Sleep well. Hey. Well, thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, astounding chapter, verse chapter 40, but we've got to ask, how does this chapter in Genesis move us closer to Jesus? Because the Bible is one book that tells one story of one God who has one plan to send his one son to provide one way for us to escape death and be moved into life in Christ. Every single chapter moves us towards Jesus. So I want to show you how chapter 40 literally moves us towards the coming of the Son of God, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Now, as we read through this, it's amazing, and and you've you've got to ask, okay, okay, how are you going to preach this? Okay, there's dreams, it goes well for one dude and not well for the other. Let me give you a big theological perspective as we walk through this. If you read straight through the Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, one of the characteristics of God that you would pick up is that God loves to use puny things to accomplish profound things. He loves to, in fact, Paul would say it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the weak things of this world, the base things, the foolish things, the puny things, the, wor- the things that the world says are worth nothing, God's chosen the foolishness of this world to shame the wise. He loves to use puny things, which is good news for us, isn't it? Okay, for a couple of you. The rest of you are like, no, I'm super duper powerful. God uses strong things like me. Let me know how that works out for you. The small theological picture throughout the Bible is that sin scoffs and mocks tiny things. Sin looks at the things that God uses and says, those aren't important, they're not big, they're not powerful. Those are dumb. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Like, we just reject puny things. What we see throughout the Bible in the gospel is that when God chooses to join us, he joins us as a puny baby. He had no stately form, no majesty, no power. He comes to us in utter nothingness, and he does it on purpose to show us. Same thing that Einstein taught us. Puny things can pack a punch. It's what Einstein Literally, this is what science taught us. Energy and mass equal interchangeable. Einstein said puny things have great power. If you can just, if you can just divide an atom, you could have energy upon energy upon energy. Now, that, we took Einstein's idea and figured out how to make an atom bomb because that's what we do. Einstein was just teaching us what the scriptures teach us. Puny things can pack a punch. What I want to show you today, please don't misunderstand me. If you misunderstand this, I'm performing pastoral malpractice. If you misunderstand this, I'm not saying, hey, do these five or six puny things and God will be happy with you. That's called moralism. 
It's not Christianity. It's not the gospel. I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to give you five things to practice so God will be happy with you. I'm saying, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and are born again, he comes to live in you. He will grow these things in you so that they flow through you. And these puny things will pack a punch in any society, any culture, any context that you live. Have you noticed Joseph, he finds a way to change every environment he's in. He's not changed by the environment. He literally radiates the life of God out into the environment and he changes it. If he's in prison, he changes the prison. We've got to ask the question, what superpowers does Jojo have that changes any environment he's in? Because I want some of that mojo, right? I'm going to show you five puny things that if you allow and surrender to Jesus, allow him to grow these things in you, it literally will change your marriage, it change your community. I've seen it change hillside because it's so antithetical to the world. Watch this. We're going to jump in. 19 minutes. I'm already two minutes behind. Pull up verse four. I'm going to start out with the first puny thing that's incredibly powerful that will change your life, and it's actually scientific. And I'll show you that. Watch this. Watch what Joseph does. Chapter 40 literally peels back. We get to see into the heart of Joseph what this cat's like. He's in prison right here. Watch the first thing he does. The captain of the bodyguard put Jojo in charge of the cupbearer and the baker because Joseph had already proven himself faithful. So the captain said, okay, Joseph, you're in charge. Watch how he treats other prisoners. He put Joseph in charge of them. Notice this last, and he did what? Do you see it? And he, you haven't had your coffee and you didn't eat the donuts. There's not a sugar rush. Okay, I need you with me on this. The captain of the bodyguard put Jojo in charge of them and he, yeah, literally, if you translated it straight over, if you got your study Bibles, he ministered to them. Or another translation, he served them. Point number one, this is what Jesus is going to do in you. He's going to grow you not to think of your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. As you grow in Christ, you're going to begin serving other people. You're actually going to escape the gravitational pull of sin and selfishness because Jojo could have gotten incredibly sour in prison. Oh, I didn't build that scaffolding for you. Dude got Shawshanked. Anybody? Yeah, nobody over it. They're like, it's rated R. Don't raise your hand. He'll, he'll get you on this. Well, Dave, I saw some of it through my neighbor's window, but I wouldn't watch it because I'm a Christian. All right, all right, whatever. Dude gets Shawshanked. He's in prison by no fault of his own. He could have become incredibly sour. Instead, he began to serve people around them while they were in, and they were in confinement for some time. What I typically find in this world is uh, what you focus on forms you. You will be done wrong in this world by someone, somewhere, at some time, in some way. All of us will, right? You'll be Shawshanked in some way. Someone will do you dirty, amen? Amen. amen. And then you'll have a choice. Am I gonna become sour, self-centered, and selfish, or I'm gonna, am I gonna serve and change the environment around me through the power of Christ in me? Now, if you choose to become sour and bitter, 
you'll be like the rest of the world. You'll just be caught up in your own stuff and you'll be miserable. I see sour Christians all the time. You're in here, it looks like you've been sucking on a lemon <laughs> since W was president and you're just sour. Can I tell it? No, that's genuine and you see it too. I see cats come in and I can tell you the people who are becoming sour versus serving, the people who are escaping gravitational pull. Let me tell you a little bit about yourself scientifically. And I'll quote out of Forbes magazine, September 8th, 2020, that quotes out of UC Berkeley, Harvard, Princeton, and Brown. This is science. You tell me, Dave, we're scientific. Good, let me tell you about science. Evan Carmichael wrote a book called Built to Serve. He studies neurology, how your brain is put together. In this book, he said, you are actually hardwired to help and serve others. In fact, he starts the book, and this is why I'm quoting him. You can be ticked off at me all you want. I'm just quoting Evan Carmichael, a scientist. He says, if you're not happy, it's because you're not helping. If you're not satisfied in this life, it's because you're not serving. Your brains are hardwired. Helping and serving others is actually hardwired to your limbic system, it's actually the same as food and sex. Serving others is as important, Forbes magazine says, as food and intimacy in your life. Now, most of us just ignore that because in America, to be great means to be served. But Jesus gives us a different example, doesn't he? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he came to serve, to give his life and not to be served. And Jesus has made greatness available to all. Matthew 20, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's easy. Escape the gravitational pull of sin and, and serve others. Be a servant of all. And in that, something happens. You've all been impacted by it. How many of you ever went on a missions trip that you didn't want to go on? And you were like, for the, you signed up because your wife wanted you to? and you wanted things to go well at home, and you're like, I don't wanna go. It's a week and a half, I'm super duper busy. I'm an important person, I've gotta work. I don't wanna take my vacation days and go down to Honduras. Let somebody else tell them. And then you go and you serve others and you come back, the story's the same every time. I went to serve, but it ends up I was served because it's how you're put together. You wanna to know how Jojo began to change everything in his environment? Because he just began to serve those around him. You wanna make a difference in your environment? Don't merely look out for your own personal interests. Begin to serve. Anyone, anywhere, any day, at any time, any place can serve others. God's put greatness. He's put this puny power within all of you. And, and you watch, it'll change your marriage when you go home and say, how can I serve? How can I be most helpful? It begins to change the environment around you. And watch what then comes next. These little puny things begin to build on each other. Go ahead, go to verse six and seven. He goes from serving others, well, I'll read it to you in six and seven, to seeing and being sympathetic with others. He doesn't serve and then become bitter about it. When Joseph came to them the next morning and, okay, here's the word I need you to see. Joseph came to them in the morning and... Okay, he was actually seeing them. He was looking at them, yo. It's weird. Have you ever had anybody stare at you? You're like, what are you, you're weirding me out. Because in America, we're actually taught to ignore people. 
It's why we live here, because people are the problem, and this helps me ignore you so I don't have to observe you. Because if I observe you, you're probably gonna tell me how hard everything is. And then you're gonna be bummed out, I'm gonna be bummed out. It's why we just ignore people in America. We literally do. It's why we're in a loneliness epidemic, yo. Watch what comes next, verse seven. He didn't just observe them. Watch verse seven. Then he asked them, the Pharaoh's officials who are with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? He not only observed them, he took in the information and said, they're dejected, they're sad. So he did something profound. He asked them, why, why are you sad? You see, in America, I already told you, we're taught to ignore people. We don't actually look at people because I don't want your problems to be my problems. I've got enough problems of my own, amen? The last thing I need is to pile your problems onto my problems. You deal with your problems, I'll deal with mine. In fact, in America, the best thing you can do is just say you're happy. <sighs> because if you're happy, then I'm like, good, I don't have to deal with you, amen? Now, none of, none of us wanna say this out loud. And so we look at the loneliness epidemic problem, we're like, what's going on there? Well, we all ignore each other. Here's what Joseph did, and it's the power, it's the puny power that God has put in you through, the, through his spirit. He not only served people, but then he began to see them and sympathize with them. He actually had the ability to see people and to sympathize with them. Now, if, you, if you're not good at seeing people, and if you're not good at sympathizing with people, I get it. You were raised in America. Much of America has been built on enlightenment principles, rationalism, empiricism, just the facts. If you can measure it, it's real. If you can't, it isn't. We've been raised to up our IQ. Our whole system is about your IQ. Now, here's the interesting thing. I run around with some cats that have a super duper high IQ, like bordering on savant, ranging around 200. And you know what I've, I've learned about brilliant savant type people with high IQs? They tend to be idiots. <laughs> Genuinely, I'm sitting down with dudes that can ramble off all kinds of brilliant stuff and they haven't been able to make a relationship work in decades because they, they don't understand what it means to serve and see and sympathize with people. You wanna know science? Uh, I'll quote Harvard Business Review to you, the power of EQ. Ends up, they did studies, IQ is only about 20% of success in America, and yet it's where about 100% of our energies are spent making sure our kids get good SAT scores, good ACT scores, and have high IQs. Harvard Business Review says, emotional intelligence, the ability to see and sympathize with others, actually accounts for 80% of your life's success. In fact, they've, they put a number on it for every point of emotional intelligence you have, you'll make on average 1,300 more per year. The person with higher emotional intelligence that's able to see and sympathize with others makes on average $29,000 more per year than the person just with a high 
IQ. And Harvard Business Review reports it like it's brand new. (laughs) Hey, if you see and can empathize and sympathize with people, you'll do better. And I'm like, yeah, that's been in the Bible for thousands of years, bro. I'm having to read a new Harvard Business Review just to find out that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, one who sees us and is moved with compassion. You need to know Jesus has put an incredible power. You can call it a puny power. You serve, you'll watch it change your environment around you. And if you can see and sympathize with others, I'm astounded here because what you expect Joseph to say is to get up in the morning, to see their faces sad and dejected and say, get over it, man, you're in prison, right? Right? Of course you're sad and dejected, you're in prison. Whatever, do your job, prisoner. He doesn't. He sees them and sympathizes with them. Watch what's next. You're not gonna believe this, but it's actually true. Part of it. Part of this power that God has put in you is simply to be sensitive, to be situationally aware and sensitive to what God is doing. Pull up verse eight. Well, the cupbearer and the baker said to him, well, here's where, why we're sad and dejected. We've had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. Well, then Joseph said to them, well, don't interpretations belong to God? And this astounds me every time I read through it. Remember, remember who had a dream was Joseph. Long ago, decades ago, guess what dream hasn't come true as far as he can tell? So the cupbearer and the baker said, we had a dream. I expect Joseph's response here to be like, whip-de-doo. I had a dream too. Bunch of stuff bowing down to me and here I am in prison. That's where you can stick your dream, bro. Get back to work. Like that's what, again, this is the question I said. How did Joseph radically impact the environment around him? He served humbly. He saw and was sensitive to the people around him. And he was sensitive to what God was doing in the situation. They said, we had a dream and we can't interpret it. It's troubling us. Jojo said, interpretations belong to God. And he literally invites them in. Tell it, it's tender. Tell it to me, please, trust me. Trust me to enter your orbit and, and Trust me with your thoughts, your dreams, your life. He's literally, I just call it situational awareness. I'll put this around situational awareness. Constantly, we're taking in input. We're assimilating that input. We're anticipating what's coming and preparing to act. It's called situational awareness. In America, we typically overbook, overschedule. We're overworked. We're overloaded. We're overstressed and therefore we overlook what God's doing. Hillside, you understand, don't you? God's at work all the time, everywhere, every day. He's literally at work all around us, all the time, every day. And he encourages us to be situationally aware, just to listen to what he's doing so that we might join him in his work. And when we don't, we miss it. I call these sales fails. Any salesmen here? You sell stuff for a living? Sales fails are profound to me. They blow my mind. I don't know that they do much work on training salesmen anymore. 
wasn't long ago, um, my wife was pregnant with Paxton, so I guess that was long ago, seven, eight years. When Brooke gets pregnant, she throws up for nine months straight. I mean, yeah, it is. It's really hard on me when, when that... <laughs> so thank you. For, I feel the sympathy. It's like, oh, Dave, I'm sorry. I know. I know. It's, it, it makes life really difficult. Because during that time, then I'm caring for the other kids. And during that time, there was a stomach bug. And when one kid gets it, because they're all little kids, they suck on the same, so both kids get it. And I'll never forget, Brooks upstairs throwing up. I've got two kids with bowel issues. I'm changing diapers, doorbell rings. So then you start hurrying up, and you get mess all over you. Kids are crying, so I pick them up to go see who's at the door, open the door. Here's the sales fail. The guy says, Good morning, how are you? <laughs> Not good. Good, I would like to talk to you about green energy. And I'm standing there, I'm like, zero situational awareness. Unable to see, unable to sympathize. I said, I'm not interested in green energy, I'm dealing with green poop. <laughs> this is legit. Just to see if he was listening, just to see if he could connect. The next sentence told me he had no clue have you heard about the rebate CPS is giving for those who put up solar panels? No, and here's my response. No, and I do not care, and I will never buy them from you because you're not listening. His next line. Have you thought about all the money you can save from the solar panels? And then I just wanted to help him. No, but I have now thought about taking your life, and so I need, <laughs> I, I need to help you. I'll never buy anything from you because you're not aware of what's going on around you. You don't care. This is what sin does, Hillside. It gives us blinders. We're focused on one thing. God is saying, because of the grace Jesus has given you, I take away the blinders so you can take in all that I'm doing and join me. Again, I would quote to you Harvard Business Review, the power of listening as though it's a brand new concept. If you listen, you can actually strengthen your team, align the team. This is the Harvard Business Review. And I had to sit down and say, it was in the Bible thousands of years ago. James chapter 1, 19. Be quick to listen. Be situationally aware. God's at work around you right now. Are you overbooked, overscheduled, overloaded? Then you're gonna overlook what he's doing. I love Joseph, he just shows up. I wanna listen, tell me please, what is Jesus doing in your life? Tell me the dream. Watch what comes next, minute 26. Watch what comes next, verse 14. I'm just gonna go instead of really 13 through 16, just go verse 14, here we go. Watch what comes next. Joseph, after interpreting the dream for the cupbearer and the interpretation goes well, so he gives him good news. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Joseph goes incredibly strategic here. And I love this. He's not just a servant. He's not just seeing and sympathizing. He's not just sensitive to what the Lord's doing. He's incredibly strategic and he makes a huge ask. Brilliant, beautiful. Make the big ask. Here's why it's brilliant and beautiful. What I often find in my own life in Christianity, 
When things go poorly, I tend to move towards pessimism. I tend to move towards self-pity. I tend to move towards passivity. Well, this is just the way things are. Nothing I can do about it. And once you've moved towards passivity as a dude, then you just begin to wallow in self-pity. Woe is me. I can't do anything. Nothing's good. Nothing's right. You sound like Eeyore. Didn't that sound like Eeyore? I can't even read Winnie the Pooh to my kids anymore because of that donkey. Such an ass. Literally, sorry. True statement though, isn't it? The fir- you go back and you pick up the first time Eeyore shows up and guess what? He lost his tail. This donkey perpetually since 1923. Well, I lost my tail. Pooh is like, uh, you just, you left it somewhere. No, somebody stole it. That's his first line that shows up. Somebody stole it. His second line, it's just like them, isn't it? Everything's bad, nothing's good. He wallows since 1923 in pity, pessimism, and passivity. And I find this to be true of many Christians. What's beautiful about Joseph here, he doesn't wallow in pity, pessimism. He says, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted and I'm gonna seek something better to see if Jesus might show up. I'm gonna be satisfied where he's put me and I'm gonna strive for something better. Those two can coexist. And Joseph, said, Joseph totally avoids passivity, pessimism, and self-pity. I'll tell you this. If you know an, an Eeyore, some people don't want to progress. They want pity. And sometimes you just got to sit down and say, hey, what do you want to do about your tail? You're chasing your tail. You're fixated on your tail. What do you want to do about your... Well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, there is. There's super glue. Yeah, have you thought about super glue? You want to try that? There's duct tape. You want to try some duct tape? You can clip it on. Get a paper clip, hair clip, some kind of clip. No, I can't do anything. Have you thought about living without your tail? Just get over your tail. And you will find some people don't want progress. They want pity, and you need to leave, it, leave them in their pity. Joseph overcame passivity. He made the big ask. When he had served, he had seen, he had sympathized, he was sensitive to what Jesus was doing, and he was strategic, and God ends up using it, not right away, but two years from now. God uses it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with selfish motives, hoping to spend it on yourself. He loves to give grace to the humble. Would you, would you go ask him, what do you need? Stop wallowing in pity and being passive and pessimistic. Jesus wins, make a step to make things better. Make the ask and see where Jesus shows up. Now watch the last one. Two minutes over, I'm doing awesome. This is good. I've got two more points. I'm only gonna give you one. You can go down to verse 23 and come up with your own point. It'll be fun for you at home. Verse 19, watch this last one. He's a straight shooter. So uh, he's he's a servant. He sees, he sympathizes. He's sensitive to what the Lord is doing. He's strategic in how he goes about, and he's a straight shooter. Watch this. Here's, now he goes uh, to the baker's interpretation, and it's not a good, it's not a good interpretation. Birds, it ha, it, 
Hitchcock's birds eating flesh off, okay? Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and, and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh off you. Okay, let me just take the whole chapter. It's astounding because he gives good news, doesn't he? And in verse 19, he gives bad news. Here's what you need to know. He's a straight shooter. This world is both beautiful and broken at the same time. There's beauty and there's good news that people need to hear. And we tend to like to give good news because good news puts a smile on your face and because we're permeable people, I enjoy that smile and you're happy, I'm happy, we're happy, 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 happy. We like good news. Bad news on the other hand, the birds are gonna eat the flesh off your body We tend to withdraw from that news. We don't like giving bad news because you're unhappy, I'm unhappy, now we're unhappy, and we gotta figure out what to do with our unhappiness. So we tend to go eat or drink or use to numb unhappiness. Joseph's astounding here. He gives the good news and he gives it faithfully and he gives it in love. You're gonna be raised up in three days and things are gonna go well with you. And he gives the bad news, and he gives it faithfully and upfront. Three days, bird's gonna eat your flesh, you're gonna die, put your affairs in order. The world needs to hear both the good news and the bad news. If they don't hear both, they're unbalanced. But we don't like to give bad news. Reminds me of the second worst funeral I ever did in my life. First worst funeral, somebody actually fell into the coffin hole. It was horrible. Yeah, awful. Second worst funeral, you need to know I don't like wearing suits. I've got multiple suits, but I feel uncomfortable with them, but I try to match whatever audience I'm speaking in, so sometimes, like at funerals, I'll, I'll wear a suit, but I'm not very practiced at the art of suit wearing. So I went to this funeral, it was right downtown, this was just last year. Got all ready, got my tie on, got my shirt on, got it pressed, felt like I was looking good. Did the funeral and I noticed people were smiling, chatting with each other, some chuckling, which is odd at a funeral. (laughs) Not a lot of chuckling goes on at a funeral, not a lot of inside joking. I got done with the funeral. After the funeral, you have a graveside where you lead everybody out, you go to the graveside, and you, you do a graveside. And again, a lot of chuckling, a lot of people talking. I thought, this is just a weird group. They need Jesus. You know, I'll give them, I'll go over the gospel again. After the second service, the graveside, a gal about my age came up and she literally put her arm around me and said, can I talk to you for a minute? I figured she needed some pastoral care. You know, a little encouragement. She had lost somebody she loved. She took me over to the side and said, your fly's down and your shirt is sticking out. She was like, you, you, you just, you need to know. And I looked down, sure enough, speaker's nightmare, right? Awkward, awkward for everybody. They want, 100 people there, they won't remember what I said. They won't remember the gospel. They won't remember anything except remember that bald dude who had his fly down at the funeral. That's it. But here's the thing. 
The world has bad news and good news. Kim Scott wrote a book called Radical Candor where she puts the good news, bad news on a X and Y axis. On the X axis, she says your willingness, this is your willingness from low to high to confront somebody. On the Y axis, this is your care from some, for someone from low to high. She says, in America, we tend to have very low care for people and low confrontation, which puts us down in this box just called insincerity. We will laugh at you, we'll scoff you, we'll talk about you behind your back, but we won't talk to you because we don't have radical candor. We don't care and we won't confront. But if you have high care and low confrontation, you're up in this box, it's called codependency, uh, uh, ruinous empathy. I care a lot about you, but I don't wanna hurt your feelings. Now, if you have low care and high confrontation, you're just a jerk face. <laughs> you're like, oh, I just need to speak the truth. Uh, and so you just hurt people's feelings. What Kim Scott does, and she's not a Christian, she's actually a coach, a CEO coach. She said we need high care and high confrontation to be radical candor. Your fly is down. That's radical candor. She didn't yell it out. She took me to the side. She said, I need to be honest with you. The Bible simply calls that speaking the truth in love. Where you're around a group of people who love you enough to say, there's good news and I'll give you the good news and there's bad news and you need to hear the bad news. You need to know that the Bible has good news God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible has good news. God is love. He loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die in your place for your sin so that you wouldn't spend eternity apart from him. That's good news. The Bible has good news. It's a gift by grace, through faith in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. That's good news. The Bible has bad news. The wages of sin is death. That you were born dead in your trespasses and sins. That all we like sheep have gone astray. That judgment is coming. Jesus is coming back and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of the almighty God. Someone will pay for your sin. Either Jesus will have or you will. Hell is real. Judgment is real. Run to Jesus. The Bible has good news and the Bible has bad news. And the world needs to know both. The world needs to know your flies down. You need to make an adjustment. You need to run to Jesus. Joseph was a straight shooter. Do you see it? Verse nine, he gave the good news. Radical candor. And he gave the bad news. Let me land the plane with this. Whenever we come to a passage of scripture, individually we tend to ask, where am I in the text? It's a game of where's Waldo. Where am I? Anybody play, grew up playing, you guys know what where's Waldo is? Little red dude, red and white stripes. You're always looking for him. This is how we tend to deal with scripture. Where, where am I in this? And because of sin, we tend to think we're the good guy. I'm Joseph. I was done wrong. In this text, I find that I'm far more like the cupbearer and the baker. See, I was born into this world, this fallen world. I'm in prison. There's no getting out of this. You can't get out of this world. 
And it's astounding because an innocent man entered my prison. His name was Jesus Christ. And he served me, and he saw me, and he sympathized with me. He was sensitive, perfectly sensitive to what the Father was doing, and he spoke to me. He said, in three days, I'm gonna be crucified, buried, but in three days, I'm gonna rise again. And his prophecy came true. He proved himself to be the Son of God. And he offered hope. The difference is Joseph's message was good news to the innocent. Joseph's message was good news to the cupbearer. It's bad news for the baker. Do you know Jesus' message is good news to the guilty? Jesus' message is good news to everyone. You've sinned. You've rebelled. You've, you're guilty. You're condemned. I will go to the cross. I will pay the debt. I will be lifted up. My flesh will be torn from me. I'll be put in the grave so you can be set free. Jesus' message is good news to everyone, to anyone who would submit to him, surrender to him, offer up their puny gifts to the one who uses puny things to bring about profound ends. Today, would you offer up your puny gifts? Would you surrender to Jesus? Because what he'll do, he'll begin to grow those puny gifts in you, and you'll see how those puny gifts are used to change everything around you. You are how Jesus has chosen to change the world. Do you know that? We pray for something miraculous, huge. Jesus, do a huge work. He says, I'm trying because I'm working in you to take these puny things because I love to use puny things to bring about profound things. Will you surrender to him? Offer up those gifts and watch how he uses that service, that sensitivity, seeing others, sympathizing with others. Watch how he uses your gifts to change your marriage, change your community, change the county, change the city, and ultimately change the country. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us incredible hope through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you that you came and said it's finished. You finished the work for us. And you simply call us to come rest in you. And I pray that today would be that day where we come and rest in you, where we rejoice in you and allow you to use those gifts you've put in us to change everything around us. Father, I pray you'd be glorified as we sing to you and surrender to your son, giving your spirit freedom to work in us. Would you be glorified in and through us? In Jesus' name, amen.